You are Locked On Jags, your daily Jacksonville Jaguars podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. It is Friday, and I am Tony Wiggins here with Locked On Jaguars, and this is your Jacksonville Jaguars report. Friday is uh, the the day before, well, the last day uh, before Sunday's game against uh, Minnesota that you'll hear my voice. But I can't help but think back to the fact that this is a game of woulda, coulda, shoulda. And what I mean by that is, in 2017, in the draft that just followed the 2016 draft where the Jaguars had gone with uh, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, and Yannick Ngakwe, they could have followed that up the very next season had they taken Deshaun Watson and then taken Dalvin Cook in the second round. Now, can you imagine those five players, those five players on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster that in 2017 went to New England, to Foxborough, and was that close to winning the championship? No disrespect to Leonard Fournette, who had a good year. It's more of a thought about having Deshaun Watson and Dalvin Cook. It's also a thought about maybe after 2017, the Jaguars could have made a play for the number one quarterback on the market in free agency, and that would be Kirk Cousins. So you got Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook ready to face the Jaguars this weekend, and it's going to be fun to watch and think about what could have, would have, and should have happened. And you can get this every day here on Locked on Jaguars because it's your team every day, and you can subscribe on Google Podcasts. I um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I will confess to everybody, I was a big Leonard Fournette fan when he came out in the draft. Huge Leonard Fournette fan when he came out in the draft. And I guess one day I'll talk about and we'll negotiate what I think happened to him and what uh, was he as good as I thought he was and, and all of this stuff. Uh, but I do believe that um, Dalvin Cook was a very, very special player. This, the problem I have is, and I've told Dave, I told Dave Caldwell this before, and I, you guys have heard me say it on here before. The problem that I've always had is subscribing to certain formulas, saying we need a big back, right? We need a big back. Because the bottom line is they probably, you know, I understand they had Chris Ivory on the roster. We need a big back. When you do that, you totally eliminate football players. You look at small running backs or smaller running backs as guys that are just third down specialists, and you take away from the fact that some of these little guys are tougher than big guys. Look at McCaffrey. Look at Alvin Kamara. You know, look at Kareem Hunt. These guys, these guys aren't, you know, they're not soft football players. Dalvin Cook. These guys are tough. These guys run between the tackles. So this thought that you needed a big guy, it goes back to Blake Bortles. They needed a big bruising guy that could give the ball to 25 to 30 times that could control the clock to keep the defense off the field and to limit Blake Bortles' mistakes. I can't say it you know, enough. And I think more than anything, what did the old regime in, and, and some of them are still there, is this. 
subscribing to those types of formulas when it when it came to building guys on uh, offense, especially the offensive skill positions. Now, you have to get up in the draft. You just have to, especially when you take over a franchise. Just like the new GM, when he comes in, he's going to have to pick a franchise quarterback. At some point, when you have a new GM and a new coach, and the new coach has maybe three to four years, his ability to get a quarterback and develop that quarterback is going to determine his success level. Go back to 2013, 14, and 15 and show me the franchise quarterback that was in those drafts. Wasn't. So the Jags subscribed to, well, we got to get one, so they forced it. And when you force it, what happens is, no matter if you're going with a formula, you're going with some sort of equation, you're going with some sort of mantra that you have on how to do things, that guy is going to be who that guy is unless you are great at developing people and making them more than they are. The Jaguars were not that. At best, at best, Blake could have been what Alex Smith was when he was with the 49ers. And the 49ers said that wasn't good enough. And eventually Kansas City said that wasn't good enough. Right? So that's why it's important to evaluate. It's one thing that when people say, well, 2013 was a weak draft. There were players in that draft. But you can't force things. You can't make guys something that they aren't. And hopefully the new GM with this plethora of picks will figure that out and, and, and not subscribe to these formulas that sinks this team into a hole that they can't get out of. And you get this here every day, like I said, right here, it's your day, it's your team, and your podcast here with Locked On Jaguars, and you can subscribe on Google Podcasts. All right, so I did a little Fan Friday. I only got one question. I'll tell you what that question is um, uh, in the uh, first segment, and, I, and I'll discuss the topic around that and why it's such, a, it's such an off, off-hands or hands-off topic for me uh, for the most part, even though I touched it, and that's the Lot J stuff. Uh, that has to do with the team. If you don't follow it, you know, Lot J is, is a proposal that really doesn't have anything to do with the Jaguars. It has something to do with the Jaguars' owner, Shah Khan, that they're going to uh, try to attach to getting a stadium renovated. So it's all kinds of crazy stuff going on here in Jacksonville from a business perspective, and the community is kind of really split on it, and a lot of members of the media are too. So I'll, I'll touch on it, and I'll hit on it a little bit, on the Fan Friday because that was the one question that I did get from a man, Chris, from the West Side. And then I'll talk about the Jaguars and this game Sunday and what it probably means um, uh, for everybody involved. Mike Glennon, Doug Marone, Gardner Minshew. That one is the one that I really want to touch on. What does it mean that he's not playing? I'll do that in just a second here on a weekend edition of Locked on Jaguars. All right, so uh, a little Fan Friday show here for you. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not tell you guys, though, uh, about future shows here. I got to tell you, coming up next week, it's the same thing. Reaction Monday to uh, what you're going to see on Sunday. We'll do Reaction Monday here um, and continue to look at, at, at the possibilities of who the GM and maybe who the new coach is. Talk more about identity, too. We'll do that on Tuesdays and Wednesdays where we talk more about team identity and take a look again at, at some potential uh, GM and coaching um, changes. And, of course, on Thursdays, we always have our crossover Thursdays, so we'll have that for you next week as well. But Chris asked me a question. I'm not staring at the question right now, but it has something to do with this. If the Green Bay Packers as a team, basically, if they could – if they can, like they did, spend their own money for stadium renovations, why does the Jaguars need 
to borrow money from the city for Lot J or to up, upgrade the things around the stadium or why are they getting loans and uh, whether the loans are interest-free or whatever. And Chuck Khan is the fourth richest owner in the league. First, even though Green Bay is a small market, they're a big thing with a lot of tradition, with a very unique um, relationship with that community. So I really think it's an apples to apples. You're talking about a team in Jacksonville that doesn't have tradition with maybe the team in the league that has the most tradition of any team in the league. They're a little bit different. Lambeau Field is synonymous with Green Bay, even though they don't own it. Uh, but apparently the team is, quote, unquote, publicly owned as well. So it's it's a different animal. It's an entire – now, there are some cities that you could probably compare – Jacksonville too. It can't be a city where the team owns the stadium. It can't be Dallas. It can't be Washington. And I also would put the the two New York teams as well as Chicago in there because they don't struggle with sponsorships and Fortune 500 companies being uh, close to the city. And plus, there's a lot of tradition there, even though one of those teams doesn't necessarily have a tradition of winning. It's still not an apples-to-apples comparison, so it's really, really hard. Jacksonville is unique. And I will give – I give props to everyone who said that and even, you know, give a pass to anybody who owns the team here. It's a unique situation. I would compare it to Charlotte, but Charlotte has twice as many people in the metropolitan area in Mecklenburg County. So it's hard to even compare it with Charlotte because Charlotte does have a booming downtown and booming party districts. And, the Jack, you know, we don't have that here in Jacksonville. So there are a lot of things in the play here that Jacksonville doesn't have that really doesn't have anything to do with the Jags. It's just that Jacksonville doesn't have it. And, and you know, the, 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 the thriving downtown. And one of the reasons they don't have the thriving downtown, to me, is because Jacksonville has traditionally been a neighborhood city. What do I mean by a neighborhood city? Well, one, it's area-wise, very spread out. It's the largest area-wise city in the continental U.S. And everything is built up in suburban pockets. You have the folks in St. John's County. They hate coming. I, I remember I used to live right next to, I lived in, a, in an area right next to St. John's County, which is south of Jacksonville. I know folks that hate coming into the city for anything, right? Because they love their neighborhood. They love their nice suburban neighborhoods with all of their amenities. And Jacksonville has a lot of golf courses and a lot of people live and, and frequent themselves around that golf course. A lot of people that have disposable income the neighborhoods and the restaurants and then you look at the beaches the beaches is a whole different life it's you know that salt life deal is real and folks that live there love living there and they pay a lot to live there so why would they travel away from there to go do anything recreational when a lot of people ride their bikes to their destination on the beach right and then you have jacksonville's north side that's a little bit different and they have a new life going out towards the airport and all of that stuff so the more amenities you build in these neighborhoods, and, and I, you know, I'm not to mention Orange Park in the west side, which is you know where I was rooted in the west side, and now I live in the San Marco area. So it's just that so many of these areas are so different that they don't uh, – and when folks – they get mad now, and, and I try to tell people there's no right or wrong answer. When folks say, I don't want to go downtown because downtown sucks, right? But then there are other people that are going to go – I don't want to go downtown because we got everything we need in our neighborhood. Why would I go down there? What am I going down there for? What can they offer downtown 
And I don't have this answer. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that type of guy. But what can they offer downtown that could actually draw these people away from their neighborhood? Now, watch this. When you draw people away from the neighborhood downtown, does the is there enough disposable coin for these people to be able to do all of this stuff? I don't know. Other than putting an amusement park or some of the things that they're suggesting with Lot J, other what could actually draw people and make them come downtown? Um, folks work downtown. You know, there is some, there are some nice things downtown in Jacksonville, but you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul a little bit when you build anything like that. I just think from to answer Chris's question, I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison. Because I don't think the people, the, the you know, one, Green Bay's won a lot. They have tradition. You know, they got four Super Bowls. Two, it's it's like a tourist attraction to go to Lambeau Field. They have a different relationship with the community. The team, the, uh, those, the team probably can go to the community and get whatever they wanted to get, and then they get it because they're beloved there, and it's the only game in town. And it, it is, that town is, Green Bay is, Green Bay is defined by the Packers. That's what it is, bro. Jacksonville is different. They're defined by a lot of different things. And the Jaguars don't have that that tradition. So it it is more difficult, I think, for Shaq Khan or Mark Lamp or anybody to go to Jacksonville and ask for stuff. But it's different for any organization to go to people and taxpayers to ask for stuff when you haven't delivered on your side of the of the winning part of it. When you haven't made your product, when you haven't made your product something that rewards people. People aren't rewarded just because you're here. And I know a lot of people want to think that. The second you start having this debate with people about whether you should give them the money, and here's my thought on on that too. I'm going to get to that. When you're asking people for money and you're negotiating stuff, it's not a take it or leave it. This is it. It doesn't work like that. With all due respect to people that I like, it, it doesn't work like that. I've never seen a negotiation go, this is it, take it or leave it. If you don't, they're leaving. I, I, I mean, really? That That's a weird way of negotiating anything to me and to not have everything vetted, to not have everything explained, to be totally transparent and give people time to woosah and go, yeah, we know. I think there needs to be more of an attitude of everyone working together than people feeling as if someone is and, and i'm going to tell you i've talked to a lot of people a lot of citizens right they really feel like they're being strong armed whether or not the deal is is justified and and everything is explained and everything is understood is one thing it could be, it could very well be it could very well be everything's above board but that doesn't mean that people won't take a look and ask questions Especially when they're giving away other people's money and other people happen to be the constituents of the city. I don't need to turn this into some economic, political show because that's not what it is. But I was asked a question. I was asked a question. There's a flip side of this. Part of their viability as a franchise is also being a hot product. You're not a hot product just because you're an NFL team. You're a hot product when you're a competent NFL team that gives people a reason to want to come to that stadium, that makes fans really, really want to invest in the team, not just because you're present. I gave the analogy yesterday. It's like a dude who says, I'm with my kids every day. I got to be there for my son. I got to be there for my daughter. 
but you don't work and you don't help them with their homework. You don't take them to ball games. You're just there sitting on the couch every day. Are you really what, – what are you doing for them besides just being there? Are you really having a positive impact on their life? Just by being in a city doesn't make the product hot. It doesn't. You have to win. And the Jaguars have not held their end of the bargain up. In fact, it's the, it's the contrary. The contrary is they're punchlines right now. They are the punchline. Now that Cleveland has turned the corner, the Jaguars are the punchline of the NFL. I guarantee if you polled NFL people around the, the – the, the NFL fans around the world and say, what's the worst organization in, fo in football? They'll point to Jacksonville. And whether that's right or wrong doesn't matter. That's the perception. So when that's your perception, why would Fortune 500 companies – that aren't a part of the city or that may be a part of the city that may be struggling also, why would they invest in you? Why would they pour more revenue into you if you're not a hot product? You got to make yourself a hot product, and the way you do that is by winning on the field and not taking too long to make changes once you realize um, just being slow to move on everything, man. You know, and that kind of stuff bothers me. It bothers me that, the people that always get blamed for it are the fans. The people that always get blamed for it are the fans. And to me, I think it's wrong. And the fans are also being asked to foot a bill. And then, they're, you know, people are wondering, why does a guy need a loan, a $65 million loan, interest-free, that he pays back over 50 years when he's one of the four richest owners in the league? Why? For, for a project that's really not connected to football. The stadium renovations are. But Lot J isn't. But if you want to say that Lot J is a part of the stadium renovations, then don't try to manipulate people and slow roll people because you think it's going to be negative for you. It's more negative to, to bird feed people information and then once they got a full plate, they realize it was all connected in the first place. So why didn't you think I was grown enough to be able to, to hear this and make a, a good decision? You're trying to make the decision for them by bird feeding them information. So once they got the big story, now they don't trust you. Period. And you can't blame them for it. It's millions of dollars. Tell them up front. Be honest with them. This is what we need. Let's sit down and talk about it. Man, look, I don't care about the optics or what it's going to look like because now it looks worse. And until Mark Lamping and, and, and Shad and whoever made the decision to do it that way, until they own that part of the process, you're going to get people that are skeptical. Now, I'd agree that there probably are some people that are skeptical anyway. There are always, it's always people like that. You look at college sports. There's some, there's some people in the academic side of these universities that could give one hill of beans about how much money a football team generates. And they think everybody needs to be treated equally. There are people like that, right? So you think that might be ridiculous. But there are people that just love academics and just think that sports aren't really that important regardless of the money that it creates. So I'm sure there are people in the city council or people that are business folks in Jacksonville that don't have great relationships with people and they want to oppose everything off the rip. Right out the gate, they're going to oppose it off the dribble. They ain't even worrying about whether or not, you know, it's a good plan or not because they're just going to be outright skeptical and they're going to whatever you want to do, they ain't going to do it. That's a part of it, too. But no, Chris, to answer your question, I think it's apples I don't think it's I think it's apples and oranges to compare Green Bay in any way to Jacksonville because of the way the, the community feels about the team, because of the way the team and the community are all they're all one. They're all connected. They don't have these issues. They don't, whatever. 
carte blanche, whatever you want, you do. And they wouldn't have those situations anyway. But ownership probably does whatever it is they want to do anyway because that's what they have to do. And their ownership structure is probably set up a little bit differently than than the one here in Jacksonville. And I don't know enough about it to, to, to make the connection. But I do know this, that even if the ownership group is set up just like this one, the Packers would have no problem getting anything they wanted for Lambeau. None. And there's probably a lot of historical context and, and reasons for that, justifiably. All right, we'll talk about this game, man. We'll talk about this game, and we'll talk about who the game means a lot for and who it, you know, unfortunately means a lot for that probably won't have much of an impact on it. And we'll do that in just a second here on Locked on Jaguars. All right, so we're talking about uh, Minnesota and Jacksonville this weekend up in Minnesota. It was a coulda, woulda, shoulda show. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to see some guys that could have been Jaguars. You know, Dalvin Cook, uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver. The Jags could have picked him instead of Caleb Von Chaser. And I heard they liked him, too. I heard they really, really did like him, but they felt like they could get a receiver, which they ended up taking LaVisca Chanel, LaVisca Chanel in the um, second round, all right? So they, you know, they still ended up getting a, a, a guy who looks like he's going to be a pretty good player if he can ever stay healthy. But Jan got traded up there, and then he got traded and went away, and I talked about that with Luke Braun of Locked On, Bing, uh, Locked on Vikings. A nice, nice little – Nice little thing going on here with Jaguar fans. If you don't know, Jaguar, the Jaguars uh, have compensation coming from the Vikings, and it depends on whether or not Yannick Ngakwe, who's now with the Ravens, makes the playoffs. And the Jags are really, really voting in. Uh, they're trying to vote Yannick Ngakwe into, into uh, the, the Pro Bowl so they can get a draft pick, higher draft pick from the Vikings. And the Vikings fans are living. Now, stop. They, Luke told me to tell y'all to chill out. I said, I ain't telling them to do nothing. I, you don't tell Jaguar fans what to do. Right, I love the creativity of these fans. This is another reason why I keep saying these these are great fans. People around people around the league recognize it and they know it, man. Jaguar fans are a bunch of scrappy dudes, man. I mean, it's it's you know there's no wine, there's no cheese and wine fans down here. You know, you you come you come at Jaguar fans, you 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 gonna get it, you gonna get it, you know, and they from every walk of life. Some West Siders there, some East Siders, some North Siders, some beach, some beachers, some South Side kids. These are some tough cats down here, and trust me, they know how to troll real well on social media, and they'll probably thump you in person too. But yeah, man, um, who does the game mean a lot to? Mike Glennon, if he plays well again, he'll probably start the rest of the season. That's one thing. Uh, Doug Marone says he's trying to win it. Doug Marone, you better not win. Don't win two games and knock this team out. And it's hard for me, it's hard for me to imagine him taking me seriously when I say that, but I'm telling you, man, you you on your way out of here too, probably. You go win two games and knock them out of the quarterback sweet states in the top two. And then if the Jets happen to win a game and you win a game, oh my God, the natives will be restless. Who else is it, is it important for? Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a guy who is healthy and he's not playing. He's a healthy, he's a healthy scratch because they're going to go with Mike Glennon. And I don't know if they're doing it because they feel like Glennon gives them the best chance to win, if they're doing it because Glennon gives them the best chance to lose, and that's what they probably, you know, think is the best thing. 
if there's a trust issue, if for some reason they no longer trust Gardner Minshew because of the way, uh, the way he didn't tell him he was hurt. Okay, okay, I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't tell you exactly why, but that's what it is, man. You know, he's not. So, what does this mean for his future? Is he going to be that reliable, high end backup, low end starter? For the new quarterback, is he going to be the guy in training camp? Is he going to get disgruntled and ask for a trade because he feels like he lost his job to injury? If Mike Glennon plays well, is Mike Glennon a better locker room presence for a young quarterback that will be taken early in next year's draft? Is Glennon a better clipboard holder uh, as opposed to a guy that wants to probably start again that has a little bit of a – a following, you know, on this team with fans, with kids. You know, what's best? What does it mean? Do you get a draft pick for him? Can you trade him to a team that doesn't have a backup, uh, that needs a reliable backup for their starter? Could you you trade him to Denver and parlay that into another third or fourth round pick that Denver doesn't have to use on, on getting a backup quarterback? Could you find one of these teams around the league that he's actually played well against and give him a, a credible backup? A guy who at the very least has shown that if they lose their quarterback for four to six weeks, he could come in and win some games for you and keep you competitive until you get your guy back. I don't know. I don't know. Then maybe that's the plan, to not get him hurt so they can move him for compensation and keep Glennon under a minimum contract or keep Luton. I don't know. I mean – it's a lot uh, to to realize, but the thing about it is it's important. But the fact that it's important to Gardner Minshew, the reason why is that it's important because he's not playing. He's not playing. So it makes you wonder how they feel about him and what they intend to do about him in the future. All right, man. So I got to tell you also about Locked On NFL. Locked On NFL is a daily show where some of the hosts from around the Locked On Podcast Network, we all contribute for it. We all contribute to it. We have like nine guys that do it. I know Brian Peacock goes first by himself solo. He, he's with Locked On Packers. Uh, then Luke Braun from Locked On uh, Vikings and Ross Jackson from Locked On uh, uh, Saints. They go on Tuesday. I go on Wednesday with James Rapine from Locked On Bengals. Uh, we go on Wednesday and we do our thing and we bring you some news and notes from around the National Football League. So you can subscribe to that on Google Podcasts as well as Apple and iTunes and follow along on Spotify. But please check out Locked On NFL, just like you check out Locked On Jaguars. I still do this every Wednesday, but I will do it at a different time. And I'll post the Locked On NFL show very, very early Wednesday morning, probably before you get up. So check it out, man. Y'all continue to take care of each other over the weekend. This is Wig with Locked On Jaguars, and we'll see you Monday with the results of the Jaguars versus Packers. Take care.